Hey, we're going to be in 2 Peter chapter 1 in just a few moments, if you can go ahead and get there in your Bibles. Um, and I want to talk about where we're going with this series. So we're starting a new series that you can see on the screen behind me, Practicing the Presence of God. And I want to explain that title. This is really a kind of a continuation from our Christmas series. We, we had a series called Christmas Presence, and we've been reflecting for really the whole month of December on this idea of what does it mean that, to have God with us? It's this little line in the Christmas story that's quoting Isaiah, and it's talking about the fact that Jesus, you know, this name, this title for Jesus, Emmanuel, God with us, is a, we, we love that idea, but the more we've reflected on it together over the month of December, the more profound we understand that idea to be. We see the links that God went through to be with us. We, see, we saw where that was lost in the Garden of Eden. We saw when the fall happened and, and broke this relationship between humanity and God. And we see how God relentlessly put that plan together and fulfilled this plan to bring people back into his presence. And then we finished on the last Sunday of the year talking about the day of Pentecost and how God's Holy Spirit presence came to dwell within every single believer. So this Series and then and then Kylan set us up last week with this great talk about humility and and what is it, the the aspects of Jesus humility and how he humbled himself and humility is really a great starting place for spiritual growth acknowledging your need of God in your life is kind of this fundamental step of growing in your relationship with God this series is sort of the now what what does it mean to live in God's presence? How do you practice the presence of God? And I am very much stealing the title of this series from a great book that some of you have heard of called practice, the, the Practice of the Presence of God. How many of you are familiar with this book? Brother Lawrence. Tiny little book, a few hands in the room. This is a great little book. I think you can probably even get it free online because it's 350 years old, not this copy. But it's a 350-year-old book written in the late 1600s, so like 1690, so more than 300, my math right? Three, something like that. More than 350 years old, I think. I don't think I did that math right. Anyway, um, I think it was published for the first time in the 1690s. It's based on the account of, of an individual. His name was Nicholas Herman, and he became a monk in the 1600s, and he lived in a monastery in, he was actually a friar, which is slightly different from a monk, but he lived in a monastery in what is in Paris, France. And the book is all about this guy who was just a regular monk. He was not someone impressive. He didn't run a monastery. He lived at this monastery and he worked in the kitchen until he had too many health problems to work in the kitchen. And then he worked in the shoe shop. And then that was how he finished his career as a monk. I don't know if monks have careers. But he, he lived in this Carmelite monastic community and he had, there was something about the way that he connected with God that was so profound that it drew the attention of some of his um, supervisors and a cardinal leader in the church interviewed him. And this book is put together based on the conversations that he had with Brother Lawrence and based on a little bit of writings that Brother Lawrence um, had written, a few letters that he had written. And it's a short book, something like 60 pages. You could probably read it in an hour. Um, and it's, it's a good read if you've, if you've never read it, if you're one of the hands that didn't come up when I was talking about this book. 
But here's, here's the idea. Brother Lawrence was a former soldier, and he ended up, in this, ended up becoming a monk during this, during this period of time in France. And he determined that he was going to try to live his life in constant awareness and recognition of the presence of God. He's like, I want to live my life regularly remembering God, and I want so that no matter what I am doing, I'm living in God's presence. And that's what the book is about, his kind of his worldview, the way he viewed his relationship with God, the way that he viewed his life. And so that meant that when he's in this kitchen, like kitchen work for, for decades was this man's life, um, not work that's particularly stimulating intellectually, right? But while he's doing this work, he is aware of God's presence. He's experiencing the love of God and enjoying this. And so I want to read a little bit of an article that I, uh, written by Gary Thomas, who's also a great writer. And he's writing about Brother Lawrence, and he says this, At the monastery, he spent most of the time in the kitchen. Initially, Brother Lawrence hated this. For a full decade, he chafed against his situation. I must tell you, though, this is a quote now, I must tell you, though, that during the first 10 years, I endured great suffering. Though his first decade as a monk was full of spiritual anguish, one day he experienced a profound peace that never diminished. I suddenly found myself changed, and my soul, which up till then was always disturbed, experienced a profound inner peace. From that day on, Lawrence was so overcome with an unusually intense awareness of the presence of God, it was so strong that sometimes he had to consciously keep himself from laughing in the company of others. No longer dreading work in the kitchen, he now felt as close to God peeling potatoes as he did kneeling at the altar. I love this idea. I love this book um, for, for this, this idea of what, what could life be like if you were regularly living it with this conscious awareness of the closeness of God, the love of God, the peace that passes all understanding, guarding your heart and mind in Christ Jesus, this ongoing reality, living out the presence of God. I was picturing us in our day-to-day -day lives, kind of walking through life more like Brother Lawrence and thinking about waiting in line for coffee at the coffee stand that you like to go to and just being aware of God's presence while you're sitting in the car and then going to work at whatever job you're doing. You're you know, checking someone's vital signs or you're designing something or you're a student and you're working on your schoolwork and, and being around the people that you work with and, and consciously like trying to stifle a laugh because you're worried about other people being concerned about your mental state. You know? You're like, I'm so enjoying God's presence. The joy of the Lord is so overflowing in my heart that I just I feel like smiling. I'm so encouraged by the presence of God, living life in the regular presence of God. That's what this series is about. We're going to be talking about practicing God's presence, practices that we do to help us draw near to God, help us to experience more of that reality, closing the gap between what I'm describing with Brother Lawrence that seems so far from many of our, from probably all of our everyday experience, closing that gap to, from where we are to this kind of Brother Lawrence way of experiencing the presence of God regularly through your life, experiencing the joy of the Lord. How do we bring these ideas together? To help us with that, we're going to be in 2 Peter chapter 1, 
this morning. This is one of my favorite passages of Scripture about spiritual growth, and I've been so excited about this message to dive into this passage together. I've taught on it a number of times, but I, I love it, and I think it sets the stage for what we're going to be talking about during this series and experiencing this kind of life with God. Before we move on from the Brother Lawrence story real quick, I want to say just two things about that story. And that's, one is that it was interesting to me that there was a struggle, that he had 10 years working in the kitchen that he hated, like he wasn't enjoying it. And then there was this kind of, this moment of breakthrough for him that changed everything. There was this, this effort, this regular call in, in the book he describes being calling his mind and his attention back to God regularly but also the amount of joy, just the sheer amount of of joy and peace that it brought him. Those two things stand out to me when I think about Brother Lawrence's story. We're going to read 2 Peter chapter 1, verses 1 through 4. We're going to look at all the way down to verse 11, but we're going to take it in three different pieces. So we'll start here, 2 Peter chapter 1, verses 1 through 4. Simeon Peter, a servant and apostle of Jesus Christ, to those who have obtained a faith of equal standing with ours by the righteousness of our God and Savior, Jesus Christ. May grace and peace be multiplied to you in the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord. His divine power has granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of him who called us by his own glory and excellence, by which he has granted to us his precious and very great promises so that through them, You may become partakers of the divine nature, having escaped from the corruption that is in the world because of sinful desire. So we'll hit the pause button right there. There are two things that Peter, he says a number of things in these first four verses, but there's two things that are sort of shocking if we're really noticing what he's saying here. And the first shocking statement of Peter in this passage is that he says, He's writing to two Christians. He doesn't specify to which Christians he's writing to. He's certainly writing even to us today. But he says, to those who have obtained a faith of equal standing with ours. And that should give us pause. Like if we're paying close enough attention to what we're reading, we should go, who's saying that? And you're saying we have a faith of equal standing with his. And then we realize, okay, this is the the Peter from the Bible, right? This is the Peter who was a disciple. This is Peter who spent time in the very presence of Jesus. This is Peter who walked with Jesus, who heard the teachings of Jesus directly from Jesus. This is Peter who had that experience where him, him, James, and John went up on a mountaintop with Jesus, and they experienced Jesus in his glory. It's the transfiguration story. They saw Jesus for who he really was. Like, it's, it's that Peter, right? This is the Peter who stood up on the day of Pentecost and he spoke to thousands of people. And in a, in a moment, in this, on this day, thousands literally of people came to faith in Jesus. This is the Peter who was in charge of the early church. Where he was the leader of the disciples. He was the leader of the early church. That Peter? Because we tend to think about this kind of levels of faith. He says, to those who have obtained a faith on the same level as ours. like the, your, your, His faith is not fundamentally different. Those who have obtained a faith of equal standing, his faith is not different from your faith. There's not like this rank order of people in their faith. And there's Peter way up here, and then I may be down here somewhere, Mother Teresa is kind of in between. You know, this is not how he thought of faith. He says, if you are, all of us have obtained an equal faith because of the righteousness of Christ Jesus. 
The Peter who was walking into the temple one day with John and saw a person who was lame, who couldn't walk, and the guy says, I, I need some money. And he says, well, I don't have any money, but what I do have, I'll give to you in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise and walk. And he did. That Peter says to his readers, those who have obtained an equal faith, a faith that equal standing as ours through the righteousness of Jesus. That is something that should give us pause. That's something that should excite us, honestly. This is, we're on the level of Peter, right? He's, he's at this same level of faith for us. So the first kind of shocking statement of Peter is this one. The second one is he says, his divine power has given you everything you need for life and godliness. Jesus' divine power has given you everything you need for life and godliness. Think about that. Everything you need for life and for godliness you have through the knowledge of Jesus. So I wanted to kind of rest in this point for a moment. I want you to really think about this. Everything you need to deal with the bad news that you're dealing with, everything you need to deal with the financial struggle that you're worried about or the financial stresses, everything you need to deal with that challenging neighbor, you know the one? Right? Everything you need to deal with the coworker that tries to do as little work as possible and expect everyone else to kind of cover for them. Everything you need to deal with your temper. Everything you need to deal with your worries, your pride, your temptations. His divine power has given you everything you need for life and godliness. Everything you need. Well, then the natural question is, why don't we feel that way then? <laughs> He's given me everything I need because I sometimes don't feel like I have all the stuff I need to deal with life and godliness. And uh, Man, why don't we always feel that way? Well, we'll get back to that actually later in the sermon, but I want to focus for now on where did you get it, right? Because that's Peter's point. His, he says it, his divine power has given you everything you need for life and godliness. So where you got it? He talks about these, there's these two words. He says, those who've obtained a faith of equal standing with ours, that's verse one. And then he says in verse three, his divine power has granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of him who called us to his own glory and excellence. You have these things already. Where did you get them? You got them because of the righteousness of our God and Savior, Jesus Christ. They're granted to you. An absolute gift. I remember thinking through how I was going to pay for college and, and this whole process of looking for the different options. And, you know, there's like kind of two broad categories of where you get money for college. There's like grants and loans, right? And we know, we know that kind of basic financial. The loan, you're going to have to pay that back, right? That's that, lots of conversation about student loans and all that stuff. The grants... That's like free money for school, right? There's this whole like the Pell Grants and all these different things that are available to people, the, the grants and the loans. This is granted to you. It is given to you. There's no obligation for you to pay for it. You know, unlike the, the whole process of paying for school, like there's not even paperwork, right? You're just, this is given to you. There's a YouTube uh, video that showed up in my, the, the, through the wonders of the YouTube algorithm, showed up on my, on my YouTube um, thing when I opened it one day, and the video was all about people. It was a guy who would drive around nice neighborhoods, and he would see a really nice house, 
And he would walk up to the house with a camera, and he'd knock on the door of the house, and he'd say to the person who opened the door, hi, we're just going around filming a YouTube video, and we noticed your house is beautiful, and we were wondering what you did to, to, so that you could live in this house. Like, what do you do for a living? How'd you get this house? That's the video. And it was just he over and over again going to these different houses and asking that same question. And some people were like, no, thank you. And they'd shut the door. Other people would say, well, let me tell you exactly what I did to live in such a nice house. And they'd tell their stories of how they earned the money to live in this amazing house. And it was things like there were executives. They worked for some corporation. There was some tech startup thing. And they started a company and sold it to Yahoo or something like that and got a bunch of money. And now that's how they live in this amazing house. And it's people that were entrepreneurs of various kinds or people who owned real estate or other businesses. And they, he heard story after story of what these people did to deserve or to earn this house. But when we think about the spiritual gifts that we are given by God, well, how did you, how did you get to live in such a situation? Well, because of Jesus, right? That's the answer. You didn't, you, we cannot do anything to fix our spiritual status or to give ourselves a leg up spiritually aside from this incredible grace of God. Peter starts this letter by saying, hey, this is given to you. It's granted. You obtained it. Yes, you obtained it, but not through your own righteousness. It's through the righteousness of our God and Savior, Jesus Christ. And this is so important for us to understand before we read the next four verses, five, six, seven, three verses. Um, we're going to read verses five through seven and making sure we keep this in our minds. For this very reason, make every effort to supplement your faith with virtue and virtue with knowledge and knowledge with self-control and self-control with steadfastness and steadfastness with godliness and godliness with brotherly affection and brotherly affection with love. So he tells the readers of the letter and it's telling us this morning that because this is true, put a lot of effort into your spiritual development. And he says, Make every effort. For this very reason, make every effort. Verse 5. And then he gives these, he says, you have faith. And then he begins to give all these, this kind of list of characteristics or, or virtues. Right? The first one is virtue, in fact. And it's knowledge, self-control, steadfastness, godliness, brotherly affection, love. So he gives this kind of list of attributes. And he says, these attributes have something to do with our own effort. Make every effort. And I was thinking about what, what kind of things in, in our lives that we could say we make every effort to do. Like if something's really important to you, you, you put a lot of effort into it, right? Maybe you have a hobby that you make every effort to maintain this hobby. Like it requires a lot of time, it requires a lot of money, but you make every effort because it's something that you, you value. Or, you know, you're a parent and you make every effort to care for your kids. You make every effort to make sure your kids have clothes that fit them and they're clean and things like that. And it's a lot of work and there's a lot of effort involved. But you do that because that's something that you, you value, right? You make every effort. And with our faith, he's saying, because this thing is true, because you have been granted things, you have obtained this thing, not because of your own doing, but because of the righteousness of Jesus, because that's true, now make every effort to look at your life and he says, you have faith. This is the foundation thing. If you're picturing like a seven-story building here, faith is the foundation. 
first floor is virtue, then knowledge, self-control, and, and you, you're, you're building this structure that is your spiritual life. You're building a life that sustains, you know, spiritual life that sustains the life that you hope to live. The good works you're trying to do, the things that you're trying to accomplish in your life. And he, he mentions all of these things, virtue, knowledge, self-control, steadfastness, godliness, brotherly affection, and love. And some people have tried to turn this sort of into a formula um, about these different things. Well, first, you got to focus on you know, virtue, being, being a good person. Interesting, just kind of side note about that word virtue, that's not a commonly used word. If you, like the, the movies you watch or the, the like social media, like virtue is not a word that shows up often in our culture. And Google Books has this little feature where you can type a word in and it'll show you like how commonly the word is used by, the, by date. And this word virtue, I, I was curious about it and I typed it in and it just like drops off from like the 1800s, you know, when the, the Google book search thing starts, and you see that it's just, like it's used in the 1800s pretty commonly, and then it just tanks in our time. This is not a commonly used word in our kind of modern society. To be a person of virtue, to be a person who does good and, and is good, is this is not something that is talked about very often. Maybe it's valued, but I would, I would debate that even. And but he says, add virtue, add knowledge, add self-control. And these things aren't, I don't think the order of these attributes are necessarily the point Peter's trying to make. I think the order is, what has Christ done for you? That order matters. And then because that's true, make every effort to add to your faith kind of these different aspects of spiritual growth. Self-control, steadfastness, godliness, brotherly affection, love. When you are new to studying the Bible, um, one, of the, one of the most important things to remember in studying the Bible is a word context, right? Context matters in, in really lots of areas of life, but certainly in Bible study, this really matters. And I think it's important if you, if you read verses five through seven only, if you opened your, you did the whole thing where you're like, I need to hear from God today, and you just open your Bible, and it falls open to Second Peter, and your, your eyes drawn to verse five, and then you go, for this very reason, make every effort to supp supplement your faith with virtue, virtue with knowledge, and you read this verse about effort. I'm going to put a lot of effort into my spiritual life, and I'm going to do that, and that's what, that's what God wants me to hear from him today. The context is very important, because verses five through seven, oddly enough, they come after verses one through four, Right? five through seven, um, hinge on verses one through four. And it's so important because, or if you just read verses one through four, and you're like, I want to get a picture of the spiritual life, and I'm only going to read verses one through four, you would also get the wrong idea about spiritual growth. You get the wrong idea about life in Christ. It is when they are together that you begin to get a fuller picture. And I've got an example with some pictures that I want to show you on the screen of different ways that you could cross a body of water. Let's say the ocean, okay? Different challenges of crossing the ocean. First picture I want to show you is of an ocean rowboat. So I want you to think about verses five through seven. This is an ocean rowboat, right? Do you know people cross the ocean in rowboats? People do that, right? Usually it's a team of people. Every now and then it's a, an individual. And this is a rowboat built to survive the ocean. So there's a cabin there, there's solar panels, and this is 
someone, actually this picture was in an article about someone who had to get rescued from one of these because he was trying to go from England to Scotland and it didn't go well and he needed some, some help. But if you think about the challenge, like verses five through seven, make every effort to add to your faith all of these things. If we're thinking about spiritual growth using these different images, different ways of crossing the ocean, we'd say if you only read verses 5 through 7 without 1 through 4, it's not about what Christ has done for you, but only about your effort. I'm going to grow spiritually, and it's just going to be all on me. That's like trying to cross the ocean in a rowboat. right? If you do that, maybe you're full of pride. You're like, I'm growing spiritually, and I did it. But I, I th- the more likely scenario is that you're going to fall short and you're going to be disappointed. <laughs> it's not going to work out the way you thought it was going to be. When you're, when you're thinking about spiritual growth, um, if trying to do it purely on your own effort is like trying to cross the ocean in a rowboat. But unlike crossing an ocean in a rowboat, it actually can't be done. You're not going to be successful. Or if we're thinking about just verses 1 through 4, let's put the second picture up here. Now, what you're seeing here is a a pool float, and it's an alligator pool float. And what you see on top of that alligator pool float is an alligator. This is an unusual picture, and I want to show you just because I was delighted by it. It's like, this is a great picture. This is what, uh, so someone was renting an Airbnb in Miami, one of these, you know, they rented an apartment or a house or something in Miami, and they discovered this. There's a vacationers. They're like, they go out in the, back, in the backyard. They're like, oh, there's a pool. And guess what? There's an alligator on an alligator pool float in our pool. And so they took a picture of it. And I wanted to show you that picture just because I was amused by it, but also because I want you to think about another mode of transportation. What if you were trying to get across the ocean on a pool float? You're like, I'm just going gonna, gonna to lay here on this pool float, and I'm going to get across this ocean. If you're thinking about spiritual growth on that, on that level, it's like Jesus has done all of this stuff for me, and now my job is to just rest in him. I'm just going to let him change me. I'm going to let him transform me, and it's going to happen while I'm laying there on the pool float like that alligator. I'm just going to lay there, and he's going to transform me. He's going he's to make me a virtuous person. He's going to make me more like him. He's going to make me cha- make, face the challenges that I face the way, he, the way Jesus would have faced them just through pure passive action of God upon my life. Um, I, I think you could say, I think you could tell by the way I'm being a little sarcastic about it, that I, uh, this is not a good strategy is what I'm saying. Verses one through four is super important. Verses one through four are super important. Jesus has done this transforming work in our lives, but we are not passively just letting God change us. There's some, there is effort. Make every effort. Because of what Jesus has done for you, make every effort. There's, there's a phrase that we use a lot, and it's let go and let God. And I love this phrase in certain situations. It's really, really great advice in certain situations, right? Let go and let God is very good advice if you're facing something like you've got something that is just overwhelming you, and you realize you can do nothing to change it. Circumstances beyond your control, there are things happening in the world that you just you, you can't make a difference in and you're overwhelmed by these things and you're letting the weight of the world on your shoulders. Hey, let go and let God is amazing advice in that situation. Like you let go of that. You let, let God take it. The, the burdens you were never meant to bear, let go of them and let God take them. That's great advice there. Let go and let God is really bad spiritual growth advice. 
if this is your whole strategy for spiritual growth, I'm just, I'm not going to do, I'm not going to pick up my Bible. I'm not going to spend any time in prayer. I'm not going to go to church because I'm letting go and letting God. That is bad spiritual advice. Spiritual growth is more like a third method of crossing the ocean. And I want to show you this picture of a sailboat, a few sailboats. The sailboat is, is a great metaphor for spiritual growth because it is God providing the wind. It is the Holy Spirit doing all the important movement and work. It is the Holy Spirit providing the, the momentum and the, you know, going through, you know, allowing you to go across the ocean. But it is the sailor's job to direct the sails. It is the sailor's job to put the sails up. Have you ever seen one of those like sailboat races, the America's Cup? Um, those sailors on those boats, they are not just hanging out, right? It's a lot of work. They have helmets on and the life vests and they're running around. They're turning things. They're raising sails, lowering them. They're, they're directing them into the wind. They're leaning back on the, on the sail or whatever, trying to you know, provide some ballast to the boat or get the boat to lean a certain way so it'll turn better. This is a better metaphor for us for a grace-filled and grace-fueled pursuit of God through spiritual growth. This is, this is the vision, I think, for the kind of life, this practice of the presence of God that we're talking about, that we'll be talking about over the course of this series. And really for the, the last probably more than 10 years, we've started every new year with a rallying cry for spiritual growth, and that's what this is. This is what this series is all about. Like, I want you in the year ahead to pursue God, to grow in your relationship with him, to, to continue to take steps in your relationship with him, to, to make spiritual growth a priority for the year ahead. But I, I, I know that because I've given this talk 10 years, that some of you, when you hear this kind of thing, you're maybe not as convinced. Like, that sounds good. I, I like the idea of that, growing spiritually. But I am not sure why I should or if this is something that I'm going to uh, pursue with. Am I going to make every effort? Like, there's things that are important to us, and we make a token effort, we make a partial effort. But maybe if you're not convinced yet that you should make every effort, we need four more verses from Second Peter chapter 1 that will help us understand why this is so important. So we're going to read verses 8 through 11. For if these qualities are yours and are increasing, right? He just gave that list of qualities. If these qualities are yours and are increasing, they keep you from being ineffective or unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. For whoever lacks these qualities is so nearsighted that he is blind, having forgotten that he was cleansed from his former sins. Therefore, brothers, be all the more diligent to confirm your calling and election. For if you practice these qualities, you will never fall. For in this way, there will be richly provided for you an entrance into the eternal kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. So the challenge is whether or not you will make every effort. And Peter seems to anticipate objections like, hey, this is, I've laid out this kind of vision for life. This is what Jesus has done for you now in response to what Jesus has done for you. This is what you do. You make every effort to grow in your relationship with him. And then he seems to anticipate objections here by verses 8 through 11. So he says, if these qualities are yours and are increasing, 
They keep you from being ineffective or unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. So it's almost like there's this, this idea here that you could, you could know Jesus but be totally ineffective or unfruitful. But if you, if you pursue Jesus the way he wants you to, you will be fruitful and you will be effective. I hate buying a product from a store that promises to do something that it doesn't do when you take it home. You're like some kind of stain remover. You know, I remember um, I had a CD-ROM disc of a software thing, and it had a, had a book on there that I wanted to get off uh, of in, onto my computer, but the, the CD, the, the little disc was hopelessly scratched. It was so bad. I don't know what happened to it. Scratches all over that thing, and I tried so many different things um, to, to get the scratches off the CD. I remember going to looking online, you know, what, what can you do? Put toothpaste on it. Put toothpaste on the back and then kind of, you know, polish it off. And I would try it in my, in my computer and it still wouldn't work. And then it's like, then I buy a, a product at the store and it's like, these are special CD scratch remover washcloths. You know, put this on there and then kind of buff it off. And nothing was working. They were ineffective. It did not work the way it was supposed to, to work. Your life can be ineffective if we're not pursuing Jesus, you will find that the, the struggles of an ineffective and unfruitful life, God is calling us to this life of effectiveness, this life of fruitfulness. And then he speaks to people who would maybe still be uh, not totally convinced. He says, let me get back there. Whoever lacks these qualities is so nearsighted that he is blind, having forgotten that he was cleansed from his former sins. I am 43 years old, and I used to pride myself on my amazing vision. Like I'd always like just ace the, like what letters do you see on the eye chart? Got it, no problem. And now as I'm aging, I'm like, oh no. Like I, you know, the experience that some of us can identify with in the room. I'm not, eyesight is not as sharp as it used to be. And I'm like, I might need glasses. I don't know. Um, I have an eye doctor appointment in February. So we'll see. We'll see how that goes. But I'm noticing my vision is like not as sharp as it used to be. Like near, it's, it's usually okay. Far away, it's, it's not as good. But he, he uses this kind of vision metaphor. And he says, you're so nearsighted. You can only see what's immediately in front of you. Physical nearsightedness is an inconvenience, right? It's something you can fix with glasses, but spiritual nearsightedness is a real challenge. He's saying you've forgotten. If you, if you don't have these qualities, if there's not this trajectory, these qualities are yours and they're increasing. That's what he says. If that's not true of you, then you're nearsighted spiritually. And he says so nearsighted that you're blind. You can't even see. You can't see What's really going on? You're, you're missing something because you've forgotten what Jesus has done for you, that he was cleansed from his former sins. And he says that, man, be all the more diligent to confirm your calling and election. You know what he's saying there? He's saying you will, be, you will be confident in your identity as a child of Christ the more these things are true about you. And we all have doubts at different times. We all, we all struggle um, with believing the reality about what Jesus says about us. And he says, you'll do that less if you're growing, if those qualities are yours and you're increasing in those qualities. So there's practices that God has given us. There's things that God has given us to do all based on this kind of foundational aspect of what Jesus has done for us that help us 
to grow in our relationship with Christ. And that'll be the, the point, really, of this series is these practices. How do we live our lives in the very presence of God? Um, in verse 10, he actually uses the word practice. He says, for if you practice these qualities, you will never fall. And that word practice is very helpful for us when we're thinking about our spiritual growth because um, we would say, I was thinking of the metaphor of, have you ever seen those half-court basketball shots? People are trying to win a car, and they have to take the basketball, and they, they go to the half-court line, right? And it either goes poorly or they, you know, they, they, they miss, or there's this moment of jubilation where the whole arena erupts because someone just won a car, by making the half-court shot. How many of you have ever seen like a video like that? Yeah, I saw one where LeBron James was watching somebody and the guy made the shot. LeBron James tackled him. He was so happy for him. The arena, thousands of people erupting and celebrating. How many of you in this room think right now, if we had a car, that you could make it on the first try, a half-court shot, to win a, win a new car? Maybe you think you could do it? First, first try. I, I, a couple, couple hands bold enough to go up. Now let's think about this a different way. What if I gave you a month to prepare for that half-court shot. How many of you think, given a month of preparation, you might be able to do it? How many, raise your hands. A lot more hands this time, right? If you had time to practice, then you might be more effective in your ability to, to carry out that difficult challenge. Spiritual growth is like that. Like, you may not be able to face all the difficulties that you face, uh, that you might face in the week ahead or just in your day-to-day -day life and, and meet them effectively the first time. Right? But if you practice, if you do these spiritual practices, you are better prepared for the challenges that you face. We started out with this amazing phrase, his divine power has given us everything we need for life and godliness. Why don't we always feel that way? I think if we follow the rest of what Peter's saying here, we are more likely to feel that way more often, like be equipped because of his divine power for all the challenges that we face. There's a, a video I'm about to show you that I've shown several times because I love it. I'm gonna show it to you again, and I want it, but I need to set it up for you, otherwise you don't get the significance of this. So 21 years ago, a movie came out starring Tom Hanks called Castaway. Uh, many of you have seen the movie, but for the, for the rest of you, I wanna explain the plot of the movie. So Tom Hanks works for FedEx, he's on an airplane, and he is flying over the Pacific Ocean, and the plane goes down, and he's the only survivor from this traumatic plane crash. He ends up washing ashore on a desert island with various FedEx packages. There was a lot of product placement in this movie for FedEx, right? But he ends up on this desert island with all these boxes, and he is ill-equipped to survive in a difficult situation like this. And he learns over the, the, the coming weeks how he's going to survive. He has to figure out where he's going to get water, how he's going to start fire, um, how he's going to build a shelter, like what's he going to wear when his clothes wear out. And he ends up surviving for four years on this island in the Pacific. And he goes from, you know, struggling to survive. Eventually he builds a raft and he makes his way out to some place where he ends up getting rescued. And we, if you know the movie, you know how sad it is when he has to say goodbye to Wilson. Anyway, Wilson! Anyway, he keeps a package with him on this whole journey from FedEx. And he's like, this package is like the thing that's keeping him alive. He's like, I will deliver this package to whoever this belongs to. He's like, this is going to be the symbolic thing. When I get out of here someday, when I survive, I'm going to keep this package and I'm going to deliver it to its rightful owner. And so 
In 2003, during the Super Bowl, you know, they put tons of money and effort into making funny uh, Super Bowl commercials. This commercial from FedEx aired, and so now you know the backstory, so you'll appreciate this commercial. Let's take a look. GPS locator, fishing rod, water purifier, and some seeds. Just silly stuff. Thank you again. You keep up the good work. I love that commercial as a metaphor for what life would be like. Imagine how useful a GPS locator would be to someone who's on a desert island or a satellite phone. That would have turned that four years into, you know, just a week or something, right? This would have changed everything for him if he would have opened the package, right? And this is the metaphor that I, I think about with this whole spiritual growth thing and this discussion that we're having is that, man, this is, his divine power has given us everything we need for life and godliness. It's like we have that package. And we need to open it. We need to live it out. And the more we live it out, the more we enjoy the benefits of, of this life with Christ, the greater our success will be in facing the challenges that we face, that God has given us everything we need for life and godliness. It has been granted to us. And so we're not earning God's favor. We're not earning some kind of higher level of faith. That is granted to us. But just because we're not in the earning game does not mean we can't be in the effort game. We want to make every effort to add to our faith. So I want to encourage you to be here each week of the series and to continue pursuing in the, in the, the days and weeks and months ahead in this brand new year, pursuing spiritual growth. Let's practice the presence of God. Let's benefit from what's been granted to us through the work of Jesus. Let's pray together. Lord, we thank you for your word. We thank you for this time in this story, in this letter of, of Peter given to us, Lord, granted to us, and we're grateful for that. And so, Lord, I pray that you would help us to, to live our lives more like Brother Lawrence, more like this way of experiencing the regular reality of your presence and your love. Lord, when fr frustrations come our way, Lord, let, let us know that we've been given everything we need for life and godliness, and we want to practice what that looks like in our lives. You are so good to us. And we are so grateful that we can know you, that we can have a relationship with you. And Lord, I pray that as we now worship together and celebrate communion, I pray that you continue to bless our time together. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. I'm going to ask you to stand with me. Um, it is our, it's the second Sunday of the month, which is our, our, typically the Sunday when we receive communion together. And so I want to just point out here on the table that we've got the communion elements here. I invite you during this next song to come forward and grab that and take it back to your seat. We'll receive it together after we sing together. There's gluten-free ones off to the side that are labeled here and the regular ones in the middle. You can come forward yourself or have someone come forward and, and uh, collect them for you and bring it back to your seat. And then after we worship together for, for a few moments, we'll come back up and receive those together. So let's do that. <laughs> 